Hello, my name is Sebastián Castro Nicolescu, and I will be having a conversation with Sindel for the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Community Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans-identifying people. It is July 24th, 2018, and this is being recorded at the New York Public Library offices in Midtown Manhattan. Hi, Sindel. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing today? Very well, and yourself? Pretty good. Um, so I guess to start, we could just um, talk about where you're from, where you were born. I was born and raised in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and yeah. <laughs> um, and so maybe what was your earliest memory? Of my transition? Oh no, just of your life. Oh, I have a vast memory of my life. Um, my earliest memory goes back to for kindergarten. Kindergarten is my earliest, earliest memory of my life. I can remember sitting on the floor. I can remember wanting to be in corners. It's something that I constantly do now as an adult. I like to always have my back to corners and um, sit back and watch people and observe situations before I go into them, something that I've had in me since I was a child. Um, okay, and so... Growing up, what was your household situation like? Very negative. Okay. I started to exhibit um, the mismatch of my brain and body um, in the first grade. Okay. So I was expelled from my very first school, um, Durham Elementary School, in first grade. Um, it was... Very, it was a very, it's hard to, uh, I don't, I can't really think of the word for it, but I know that I was forced to grow up faster than um, most children my age because of how differently I was treated from my brothers and sisters, how differently I was treated in my neighborhood. And I grew up in South Philadelphia. Mm. If people, people who visit Philly or visit any city don't really know like the real nitty gritty of neighborhoods and the urban, mm. you know, until they live in an urban neighborhood. And although South Philly is not like what you call quote unquote ghetto, mm. it was still, a residential neighborhood it was a working class neighborhood, so people let you know how they feel. Felt everyone knows everyone, so it was. I had to really grow up fast, and I went to one Durham. I went to Nebinger. I went to McDaniel, and then I went to Saint Barnabas. I was in four, three public schools before I was in private school. And that was from first to second grade. Oh, wow. So I didn't, I didn't even really finish second grade because the third school I was expelled from, um, <laughs> there was no other neighborhood schools for me to go to. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> I went to all three. <laughs> so, um, but it was really hard, you know. It was really hard. I was dressed as a boy, but my mother did not... Um, the world did not identify me <laughs> as a boy, even though I was very... <laughs> you know, so it was hard. I had to grow up quickly. And when you say grow up quickly, like what were the ways that you had to adapt or like um, change your character? Identifying danger. Mm-hmm. Identifying where was a safe place for me to be myself. Mm-hmm. Knowing which blocks blocks to walk down. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I was treated differently from my brothers and sisters. I'm the oldest of six. I knew I was treated differently from my brothers and sisters because I was in the second grade walking home from school when my brothers and sisters got picked up. Mm. So I knew that I was very aware that my mother did not love me the same way she loved her other children. So that's the household that I grew up in. That's that was my reality. And so, um, what were your parents doing to like support the family at the time? You're not going to believe this. Um, well, my father was not in the picture. I didn't meet my father for the first time until I was um, 15 years old. And by then I had already started transitioning. So he okay. met me like this. And he actually thought that I was his second child when he first met me. He didn't know I was his first child. <laughs> but... Um, Say it one more time. Um, so then what your mother was doing to like support the family financially? I was in the Philadelphia Boys Choir. My mother did a lot of jobs, mm-hmm. even though she was a college graduate. I think she, looking back on her behavioral patterns now, I think she suffers from mental illness and has gone undiagnosed. And um, looking... Well, financially, she did have several jobs, but um, I exhibited my talents just as early as I exhibited the the girl inside of me that I didn't identify with on the outside, the body that was placed on the outside. I also exhibited my talents very early from choir in church. Um, my mother started getting offers for weddings, for funerals, for parties. And I would go and I would sing at these parties. Then I was placed, she took me to an audition for the Philadelphia Boys Choir. And I was in the Philadelphia, is world that choir is world renowned. Mm-hmm. And I traveled to Switzerland, France, and Australia with that wow. choir. And I did all this before I was even 12 years old. Wow. So... I didn't find out until later, till I was older, that she was being paid because I was the youngest member of the choir. Mm. She was being paid for me to be in that choir. And that's how my career really started. I was a child performer and I also worked for Disney. I also (laughs) um, worked, sang with the Academy of Music. Mm. I did the Nutcracker four years in a row. Yeah. Yeah. So how how did you 
And that was another example too. Like who sends their child to a 10 year old child to Europe for a month with a professional choir with a bunch of grown men and teenage boys? Mm. Right. Coincidentally, even though I was not touched, I was not raped, anything like that. Coincidentally, that was my first, um, that was my first exposure Mm. to men and their sexual (laughs) ways. Mm. They didn't touch me, but, um, when we go overseas, when we went overseas, we used to stay in what it was called a homestead where a family... Um, took two or three boys from the choir or the members of the choir and, you know, housed them for their length of stay. That's how we stayed for a month overseas. And um, these were three separate trips that we took. And um, I remember the first I woke up, because in Europe, um, I didn't know this also, but the other boys did because they were in the choir longer prior to it. I didn't know that in Europe there is porn, pornography on regular TV. It's like channel five, six, channel 10, porno, PBS, channel <laughs> HBO. It's just regular on TV. Like they don't have cable service and stuff like that. So um, I woke up, like I went to sleep and then I woke up to two of the boys that I was homesteading with, they were jerking off oh my God. to a porno, and we were all staying in like this little room. So I was like, oh my God. <laughs> oh my God, it was horrible. Because I had to like force myself to like pretend I was still sleeping and I didn't know what was going on. And then, oh my God, it felt like it, they took forever. <laughs> it felt like they took forever, and I just had to lay there. And then when they finally, and I remember one of them going in the bathroom to clean up or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I didn't watch to see what happened because I still didn't know mm-hmm. that the penis ejaculated. Okay. So <laughs> I just knew that I saw that. I was like, ah. <laughs> so when they did, I took my blanket and they go into bed and I had to wait until they like, until it was like quiet. They stopped moving in the bed. So I knew they were sleeping. Uh-huh. And I took my blanket and went and slept in the living room on the, um, couch because I just felt so uncomfortable Mm. that was like my first memory like uh, that was our first trip to Switzerland Uh, the first day (laughs) oh my god right yeah crash course in adulthood (laughs) and puberty and body Mm -hmm. so um I think I was also aware because I had when I went to private school I had my first psychologist Mm. her name was Miss Robin in Philadelphia and she was on Locust Street I remember it like it was because this lady, I felt so protected. I felt so relaxed. And she even had a bucket for me on the side of her desk because I used to go every week. And she called it my special bucket. And it had a doll in there. And it had books. And it had a piece of paper and crayons for me to color and stuff like that. Oh. And she would ask me questions while I was, you know, playing. And I just remember Miss Robin just being there for me. I love that lady so much. But I also remember a serious conversation that she had with me as well about my body and what I would look like. Mm-hmm. when I, And I knew, 
it was not happening. Mm -hmm. So I, when I went to private school, I think I was in the fourth grade. It didn't happen in third grade. I finally got the psychologist in fourth. And she told me that what would happen to my body. And I was like, huh? <laughs> no way. Mm -hmm. um, coincidentally, that was not my first um, experience with the mental. When I got expelled from my first elementary school, this is in first grade, mm -hmm. from dorm elementary school, um, when the principal told my mother why, there was this little boy named Hakeem. <laughs> and we used to play house. And if anybody knows how to <laughs> if anybody knows how to play house, I was the mommy, he was the dad. <laughs> and I used to sit on his lap and I used to kiss him. <laughs> And I was, that was the reason why I was expelled from Durham Elementary School, hmm. my first elementary school. And, um, yeah, my mother came down, and I remember the way she picked me up by the back of my shirt, by my collar. Hmm. And I remember her nails scratching all over the back. I just remember that burning feeling all over the back of my neck. And she took me to CHOP. It's That's an um, a acronym for Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And they had a, they have a psychiatric. And left me there. Oh, wow. Left me there. And I remember crying and crying. That's another example of why I had to grow up quickly. And I remember the first nurse was like, what are you doing here? Where's your parents? And then I just was crying like, ah. <laughs> and it kind of, I can't really remember the details of everything, but I just remember the hallway. I remember how cold the hallway was. I remember that first night that I spent there while they were trying to find my parents. And I remember the bed, the mat, the hospital bed. It was like a flat, cold, like plastic mat. And there was like children's stuff in the corner there. And they left the door. And I was like, oh, leave it. Don't turn the light on. And the nurse, she left the door cracked. And I remember that bright light from the um, hospital hallway shining in that, that long crack. I remember staring at it until I fall asleep. You know. So how long were you in? I was in there a couple days. Okay. I was in there a couple days. I think um, because they had medical records for myself and my siblings. They knew who my mother was. I don't know. I don't remember. I can't, you know, I'm not going to even pretend to guess. I don't remember what happened. I don't remember how they got in contact. I don't even know if she got in trouble for leaving me there. I just remember she put me on a chair there. And the ride from elementary school there, it was like yeah. daggers. You could cut that tension in that car with a knife. And you just know you're in trouble. And... 
Yes. Yeah. Intense. Yeah. Intense from an early, early age. And so what was, so that happens in first grade when you're first expelled, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And so... I got expelled from Nebinger for fighting because children notice. That's why I was nervous about doing the book thing Mm -hmm. because my experience with children (laughs) hasn't always been... You know, I know how cruel children can be. And this is in first grade, okay? Yeah. And they used to pick on me like, why do you act like a girl all the time? Why do you talk like that? Why do you do anything? And me being like strong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're not talking to me like that. Punch <laughs> you. <laughs> you know, so. I was fighting. Not once, several times. So I got expelled from Nebinger. And I actually liked, I remember, Nebinger, you can go back or look it up online right now. And I remember, this is in first grade, but I remember the structure of the buildings inside. It was marble floors, and then there was, like, gold piping in the design of the walls that went up to the ceilings in the hallways. I remember that, like, like, remember... Crystal clear. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Isn't wow. that crazy? Yeah. That flair at a, <laughs> at a young age. Mm-hmm. And um, the third school I was expelled from, McDaniel. McDaniel is one of the worst elementary schools in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. It It's like where the quote-unquote riffraff or the problem children go. Mm-hmm. And they used to give me hell. And this one boy used to pick on me more than anyone else. This was second grade year because I didn't even finish second grade because you know, I had no other school to go to. I think I did a half a year at McDaniel. And this one boy used to pick on me so much that I took a textbook and at McDaniel they have um, cubby closets like you come in through the front door of the classroom and then there's a cubby closet it's like a long little vestibule it's so weird mm-hmm. it's like very back in the day old 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 um, and then the classrooms here like this is the classroom okay. and this is the door and there's a cubby closet here and it has hooks in there and then like little shelves where you put your lunchbox and stuff like that this is the classroom so what I did when he used to sit right up here, and what I did was, and I used to sit in the back, always like that, in the corner, in the back, on the side, mm-hmm. that was always me. So I took my textbook and walked through the cubby closet and straight around to the side, and I smacked him up the side of his head with that textbook. Oh, the relief mm-hmm. and freedom I felt, and the kids were screaming, oh my God. And the teacher dragged me by my arm. Mm-hmm. And I just remember feeling like free. Yeah. Release. Not a care. Could care less what the consequences were. Mm-hmm. And I think her name, she was the guidance counselor at McDaniel. I think her name was Miss Roebuck. She 
Miss Roebuck, something like that, if I remember correctly. She was the one, I believe, she was the one that referred my mother to St. Barnabas Elementary. That was my fourth elementary school. Mm-hmm. The private school? The private yeah. school. Yeah. And my great-grandmother paid for me to go there. She, My grandmother and my great-grandmother were the biggest supporters of me. And they both used to argue with my mother about allowing me to do whatever I wanted to do. I started arching my eyebrows. <laughs> As a young child, I would arch my eyebrows. I would braid my sister's hair. I would braid my brother's hair. I would jump double dutch in the neighborhood. Everything. And it wasn't, it wasn't like I was trying to be like a girl this is just the things that made me happy and oh my god when i got when nana brought me my first pair of rollerblades oh i used to rollerblade all the time and i used to do figure eights in the street like i was figure skating i used to imagine (laughs) i used to imagine myself like i was figure skating and our idols back then was um oksana bayul and uh Oh, Nancy Kwan and, um, oh my God. I used to watch figure skating all the time too back then. Ah, I know I went off like in a little. No, <laughs> totally fun. Yeah. Um, I'm interested in then your like grandma and great grandma and where you think maybe they were able to like get that support for you from or like what? about your relationship with them was so supportive. It was very sneaky, the Mm -hmm. way they did things. It was without my mother's knowledge. And it was also very protective. Mm -hmm. My mom, who was my great-grandmother, she taught me how to sew. (laughs) She taught me, I make a lot of my dresses now for my performances and stuff like that. And I um, alter, like I buy things from, I thrift a lot. And I buy them larger, and then I alter them to my body shape. And um, she taught me how to... This is how my mom... <laughs> my mom caught me... My mom... Ugh. These are women, women in my family that would dress. Like, when they walk down the street, you, <laughs> you'd be like, who is that? And there was this one dress. It had puffy sleeves. And it was long, it was high, high empire waist, and it was so flowy and had multiple layers. And I think it was lace chiffon dress. <laughs> ah, what color? It was yellow. Oh wow! And it had very soft pastel, very very light, faint soft um, white flowers on it. And she caught me. She came up the stairs and she caught me um, in her room putting her dress with her dress on I was dancing <laughs> oh my god one of my favorite movies used to be Cinderella okay and the original Cinderella yeah. the yeah. old school old school cartoon Cinderella mm. and one of my favorite songs I used to sing all the time especially when I they used to make me do chores or when they um even when I was wearing my mom's dress mm-hmm. 
was um do, 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 do. now this is love oh i used to sing that all the time mm. <laughs> <I> was little <laughs> And my mom saw me in the mirror swinging her dress. Now this is love. <laughs> and she was sitting there. And I remember my heart went right up in my throat when I turned and I saw her standing in, like, in the hallway to her. Uh, and then she came in and she walked in like nothing even happened. <laughs> and I was just standing there like. And she went on her dresser got whatever she was getting and walked back out of the room. Wow. And I said, ah! <laughs> And I took it off. I took it, I quickly took it off and put it back in the closet. And I remember peeking down the top of the stairs. And she used to have this chair right down the bottom of the um, um, the stairs in our, because um, we had a living room, dining room, and um, kitchen. And in the living room at the bottom of the stairs, she used to sit at the rocking chair that was right by the door and I used to peep down and I saw her still sitting down there and I came down on the one step and I came down on another step and she wasn't saying anything wow and I came down on another step and I was just sitting there I remember sitting there I have no idea for how long I was sitting there and she was watching TV rocking in her chair <laughs> I was like Oh my God, I just remember because she wasn't saying anything. And I just was like, oh. I figured that she was going to tell my mom. Mm -hmm. She never said anything. Wow. Never said anything. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh. and I remember maybe it was days later that, you know, because my mom used to go on odd jobs. She worked for Aramark. Aramark is a, temper, a temp agency. So she should go on these temp jobs. So some days she'd be home, some days she'd be working. And um, she saying one day she was like, look out the window and make sure the car has left the block. And I said, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, uh -huh, my mom. And then I go right upstairs and get the dress. <laughs> and I was washing the dishes in the dress a couple times because my mom let me do it. Mm -hmm. And she came in, she rolled the sleeves up because it was too big. I was a kid. It was too big. And she rolled the sleeves up and let me finish washing the dishes. <laughs> and Nana, Nana started off as a registered nurse. And then she was in, I think she was in residency or something to become a pediatrician, something like that. But Nana was in the medical field. And Nana is the one who snuck me my first hormones. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Ah. Oh. oh my God. She even taught me how to inject myself. I remember. Yeah. She taught me on an um, on an orange. Mm -hmm. She said back in the day in nursery school, this is how we do. And she brought the um, syringes down. And I remember she sat me in the kitchen. Oh my God. Oh my God. My my hands was shaking like this. I was so nervous. Mm -hmm. And then she made me do it like. I have no many. I have no many. I have no idea how many times she made me do it, but over and over again, she would make me inject this um, orange until I pulled out pulp. Yes, yes, yes. 
because if you can inject the orange and pull out pulp without the pulp leaking out of the side of that means you in, you injected one of the you know inside the orange they have little they're their own like veins yeah yeah and that's how I learned huh. and that's how I learned about the epidermis the subdermal, subdermal, because in the orange, when you inject it, the needle will go through, you'll feel the first pop. And she was telling me, that's the, that's the epidermis. And then when you go through, you feel the second, like, spongy material. That's the subdermal, same as the skin. Yeah. Then she brought out the vial. And I was like, oh, my God. 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 And um, you're going to do it. She turned and looked at me and said, you're going to do it. And I was like, no, Nana, I can't do it. No, I can't do it. Stop that. She was very but supportive at the same time. Stop that. And I'm like, I can't do it. Relax. You're overthinking the situation. Running down everything. That's how Nana was. Very analytical. Run everything down. So she made me lean against. Um, she had a, I guess it was a, um, a table. I can't remember what it's called. It's like a baking table, but it moves. It has wheels on the bottom. Okay. It used to be really popular, like. And she had one, and she had her microwave on top. And she made me lean against it with my front of my thigh. And I would rotate my upper body. And then she told me how to directly go through, make sure it's 90 degrees to the skin. <laughs> oh, of course it bled. Yeah, Of course. This is my first time. Of course it bled. And I said, oh. <laughs> Dramatic. <laughs> She said, stand up, stand up, do it again. I said, oh, I can't do it again. <laughs> and the sweat was coming down, and I was so nervous. And um, she made me do it two more times after that. Mind you, still didn't inject the orb. The, the estrogen is still in the syringe. Yeah, you're just practicing on yourself. And I'm like, oh, God. oh <laughs> Stop it. Stop it right now. And she gave me um, gauze. Because she was in medical school. She didn't have paper towel napkins, but she had gauze. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she had the real deal. Yeah. And I remember she made me press into there with my thumb. Hold, 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 hold. Take it off. See, the bleeding has stopped. Stop it. And the tears were coming down and the sweat was coming down. Stop it right now. <sighs> Finally, I got I think it was like the fourth or fifth time I injected myself. Yeah, and that was my first hormone shot. Oh, my God. <laughs> and what age was that? At? I was 14. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. So how did that come about? Did you ask her for them? Did she, like, talk to you about She them? knew. Okay. Okay. She knew. I, um, I did something that I was not, I'm not very proud of, but I was a child. I didn't know any difference. I didn't know any other way. So I think... It was like the third time we came back from Australia. Um, With the choir? Yeah. I think I was 12 then. And my voice 
started to crack. And Dr. Hamilton, that was the director of the choir, Dr. Hamilton was telling me that puberty is coming. And I was a first soprano the whole time. I've, the four or five years I was there, I was first soprano. High, high pitched. <laughs> and um, he was telling me, your voice is cracking. Puberty is coming. I said, oh. So I took dental floss and I tied it around my genitalia. And I tied it tighter. And I remember it was like that for a day. And I remember the pain was so severe. And I kept, I was going to school like that and everything. And the pain was so severe. This was at Greenfield. This is after I graduated from, um, that I collapsed. Hmm. I collapsed in the, um, in the, um, schoolyard, the rec- recess yard. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> baby, it was like silence when I got sent home and they found out what was wrong going on. And I got sent home from school and I had to stay out of school for, um, I think it was a couple days. I couldn't go to school. The silence, the silent treatment that I got in the house. Honey, it was going to come off. Yeah. Puberty was not coming in my body. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to go back to choir rehearsal. I didn't want to go back. I did not want to be a second soprano. I did not want to be an alto. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be first soprano. (laughs) 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 And, um, yeah. So Nana knew it was an emergency. It was urgent. And that's how that conversation came about. She asked me, because I used to go to, because my mother stopped buying me clothes. She stopped, because I used to cut the neck out of them and wear it off my shoulder. And I had long hair at the time. I used to take my cornrows out and I used to tie my hair at a bun at the top of my head. (laughs) (laughs) And my mother... Oh, she used to scream, stop taking your damn hair out. Walking around like an effing faggot. So it was an emergency. This is 12 years old. Wow. Okay. It was an emergency. So Nana took me, asked me to come up there and show me, to show me how to do it and gave me my first hormone shot. I remember... When the estrogen goes in your body, your very first hormone shot, I mean, I'm not talking about the shit they give you now, this this estradiol and all that. I'm talking about estrogen. Mm. They What they used to give you. Mm. Girl, <laughs> when it first went up in your body, you could feel the muscles in your spine, around your spine and your back go click, 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 and they would start jumping. And I would look, I said, Nana, look. And uh, on my back, I'd be going like this, fluttering and flickering. As the man was coming up out of there. (laughs) Yeah. So that went on for a while until I was 14, honey. Mm -hmm. 
the breasts came in quick. (laughs) And I came out the shower and I used to wear the towel up over my, and my mother was sitting in the kitchen and she said, take that towel, take that damn towel down from around your, I said, I'm just going, you know, stop coming here. And she ripped the towel down, was trying to tell me that I was embarrassed me in front of my brothers and sisters. Boom. Oh, wow. And boobs. (laughs) (laughs) What? I just remember the shrill in her voice. I can't really remember her face. I just remember that shrill in her voice. What the? What is that? What is that? (laughs) From the face all the way down to the knees, it was like ice through my veins. My body dropped in like 100 degrees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I ran in the room. Silence again. She knew. She, how else? Yeah, yeah. She knew. I remember her yelling. It was, the I think, the biggest fight her and my grandmother ever had. Mm-hmm. I think it was the biggest fight they had ever had. She felt betrayed, I guess, that my, that Nana went behind her back, you know? So Nana stopped giving them to me and any girl who's transitioned from a teenager into adulthood knows that you must continue that estrogen until the puberty periods are over like you have growth spurts at 16 you have growth spurts at 18 you got growth spurts at 21 mm-hmm. baby this is like 14 15 16 i was taking the hormones and then when i stopped cold turkey mm-hmm. because my mother found out it was like the man came back and he was coming full force mm-hmm. i remember it was over like two months, mustache, goatee started to come in and straight depression. Straight depression. I didn't want to dance. I didn't want to sing. I was at that time I was at the Philadelphia High School performing for performing arts. Mm-hmm. And I was a vocal major, dance minor. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to sing. I didn't want to dance. I don't want to be touched. I don't want to see nobody. I didn't want to go to school. I used to go to school, check in, and leave. My good friend, oh my God, I don't know where this girl is at at the time. Her name was Kelly. Coincidentally, that was the name of my mentor that I found as well. Her name was Kelly, and she had a car. She used to take us to Wildwood. We would cut school, and we would go to Wildwood in Atlantic City. Hmm. She knew I was like not there. I was not the same person that went into high school. Yeah. Ah. Yes, girl. Hmm. I know it's a lot, right? Yeah. 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 Mm. I'm just reflecting at all the stuff that I did, all the fighting, Hmm. all the. 
all the strength that I had that I had no idea I had. I was a child against the world, it felt like, and I was going to be me regardless. Regardless. And... I have no idea how I made it through. Hmm. <laughs> no idea. Yeah. Hmm. So what was that? So like, this was all kind of like happening at home, the hormones and being taken off of it. So like, what was going to school like that in that period? Like, like how were people responding to your body changing? <sighs> <laughs> that is another story. My my early all my early experiences shaped me to who I am today and why I have such negative feelings and negative experiences towards certain demographics and so because I went to a performing arts high school of course it was majority LGBT up mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. Of course the L and the G was not supportive of my T. <laughs> and I got backlash for acting like a girl, talking like a girl. And oh, and the, and the gay men felt like, oh, why can't I just be a gay man? Why do I have to do this? And I started wearing lashes. And why I have to do that? And why I got to do it? And question me and question me. And you're not going to question me. Because I have been strong-minded since I can remember. Like, And I was very, who the fuck are you talking to? You're not going to do this to me. You're not going to question me. You know, that was my earliest experience with other gay men. So I found the Attic Youth Center. And the Attic Youth Center is in Philadelphia. It's a safe space for LGBT. But at that time when I went there, it was majority T. Mm -hmm. (laughs) At that time, it was majority T because I think even to this day, we still need the most support out of all. We're still the lowest minority. Mm-hmm. You know, we're the ones that are questioned the most. We're the ones that are overlooked the most. We're the ones that are asked to do shit for free mm-hmm. or cheap or. <sighs> we are, we need the most help, you know? So I think that was not because they appealed to the trans girls more than any other. Um, but I think it was because we, it was, it was, it was a, it was an emergency. It was an alarm. It was, it was, you know, just needed at that time. And I met some of the other girls that I know till this day. One of my best friends in the whole wide world. We've been friends for 14, I'm lying. Because I am age right now. (laughs) So we've been friends for over 15 years, almost 20 years. We have been friends and we started what we say we started transitioning together. Because we met each other at the Attic Youth Center. Coincidentally, my mentor lived around right around the corner and a block away from the Attic Youth Center, the old one on 13th Street. Because some people might hear this and say, oh, the attic. And I think the attic is in a different location now. But the old attic, 
on um, not 13th Street on 15th, the old Attic Youth Center on 15th and Locust Lombard. My mentor lived around there, so we saw her, and she was boom, 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 bow, boom, boom, boom. She had triple F's, breasts, <laughs> hips, ass, fabulous bags, shoes, dresses. And she was, mm, 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 and nobody told her. Mm. And when she saw me, she was like, oh my God, you're like a little girl. You're like a little <laughs> doll. So that's how she became my mentor. Mm. Yes, honey. I know, I'm like talking on like, it's just choo 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 choo. I ramble a lot, so. No, that's perfect for this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just goes from one story to the next. And mm-hmm. I know it's kind of hard to follow. But I think there's like a certain like trajectory we're following that makes sense. Yeah. And I love the like specifics, the mm. like which street it's on and yeah. the, the yellow dress. The and... old <laughs> Attic Youth Center. Mm. Um, so when you were going to the Attic Youth Center, what, like, time period was this? It's when, because um, my mother attacked me. Mm. We used to have arguments on a weekly basis. Mm. And this time, because she wasn't buying me clothes or anything, I got a job. I was working for Nana. Mm-hmm. You know, Nana would um, give me odd jobs around her house and... Mm. She would give me money to do it, and I got a job. You know, I went and got my permit, my work permit, because yeah. I was over four. I was fifteen, fourteen, fifteen years old. Yeah, and I worked at Wilson's Leather. Mm-hmm. I worked at Wawa Food Stores as a cashier. Mm-hmm. Hmm. <laughs> and I used to take my checks. I used to buy my clothes. I used to get my hair done. Mm-hmm. And there was this boy named Albert in Philadelphia. This was like probably the most talented hairdresser you ever saw in your life. In your life. He would create magic. And he was known for doing layered bobs in Philadelphia. And he would do it with a pair of shears. A pair of shears is like a a blade. Yeah. That was in a comb. Mm -hmm. Not scissors. Mm -hmm. In a comb. With a comb and a shear. And your hair would come out and... With all these curls, and he would curl it up. And I came home one day. I went to work, went and got my hair done by Albert, and came home one day. And my sister, because my mother had this constantly had this negative behavior towards me, they were learning that behavior from her. So my sister, we were in a loft at that time. My sister. Looked over the loft because my bedroom was downstairs with my mother's and my brother and sister were upstairs. And she was like, you really think you're a girl? And I never, that was the first time Ashley ever even, because she and I growing up were like freaking frack. Yeah. You know? I was just shocked. And I said, looked and turned around. I said, don't turn into a bitch. My mother stormed out of her bedroom. You don't call women bitches. You're a fucking man. You don't call women bitches. And she began to beat on me. 
and rip my hair out. She ripped, because when you, at that time, we used to do what is called a glue-in. And you would get your hair braided underneath your natural hair. You would put a stocking cap, and then you would glue with weave glue. You would glue the weave over top. And because it was just done, it was fresh. Like I just had done hours ago, the, it was, the adhesive was tacked on. And she ripped all the hair out of the right side of my head. Even to this day, like if I lift my hair up over here, the hair is like, doesn't, it hasn't grown back. Wow. Because she ripped all the hair out and threw me into the kitchen glass table. Oh, wow. It was glass everywhere. And I, it was a glass of some kind of drink on the table. And I didn't want to look, lift my hand up. Because I just knew it was blood dripping down everywhere. And it was just a drink. And I didn't have not a scratch on me. And I just could <sighs> Someone had called the police. To this day, I have no idea who called the police. But the police were there. And she was fighting me and fighting me. And the police came in. And they said, man, you cannot beat on your daughter like this. Up in a rage, she went. That is not my daughter. That's my son. Ah! I had enough. I said, I'm fucking out of here. Yeah. I wrote in one of my lipsticks, because of course I had lipstick and everything. You know, I was buying all of my own yeah. garments and everything. And one of my lipsticks, I wrote evil fat bitch across the <laughs> wall of my bedroom. Mm-hmm. Wow. And took my bag and left while the police was still there. Mm-hmm. And I remember the policeman telling me that legally they're not allowed to let me walk out like that. Is there any place that they can drop me? Mm-hmm. I said no. They tried to take me to Covenant House, Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. No, ma'am, I'm not going to no Covenant House, Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I pretended like I was going up in there. Mm-hmm. And when they left, I dipped. I called my girlfriend, Domini, that I went to high school with, and I stayed with Domini. Mm-hmm. I lived with Domini for a long time. Okay. For a long time. Hmm. I loved living there. And I slept on the living room floor, and I didn't care because her mother, Domini's mother, was very supportive. Domini was my best friend at the time, and, you know, hmm. But the attic really um, allowed us to be us. They provided resources. They provided resources for housing, resources for hormones. And Ingrid, Ingrid was just a counselor at the time. I think she's actually the director of um, of um, the Attic Youth Center in Philly now. Oh, wow. She um, referred me to Mazzoni Center. Mazzoni Center is like one of the the place for LGBT to go in Philly right now. They have this big, beautiful facility and all. But at that time, Mazzoni Center was a little office on Chestnut Street in this building. They had like four patients and one doctor. His name was Dr. Robert Wynn. My brain, like, the information, you yeah. can look all this up. Wow. And um, 
I was like one of four patients there because they were just getting started. And um, because he didn't know much about it, he was just learning about it. He gave us, I remember it was a packet of, of uh, like a, not a Rolodex, it was in like a circle like this with estrogen pills in it. Mm. And that was my first prescribed um, estrogen regimen by Dr. Robert Wynn in Philadelphia. And they also gave me a resource to go to Dr. Sadaka in South Philadelphia. And Dr. Sadaka was a laser specialist. Because I had the, you know, at that time, I was trying to revert with my mother. I was so angry with her. Like, I was trying to revert what I felt like she did to me. I felt like she, because of her, all of this happened. You know, the mustache, the goatee. So... I was fighting to get my look back because I just felt so, ah, oh my God, when you're at the peak and you're 14 years old and that estrogen is rushing through you, you are literally being forced into a second puberty of womanhood. Oh my God. And it rushes through you and the way you look in the mirror the way you look, period, and the way people respond to you. And they say, oh my God, she's such a beautiful little girl. And then it, I just, oh, I felt so lovely. And I felt like I lost that, you know? So I had spent a lot of years trying to get back to that. That was the hardest lessons of transitioning, that you have to stay on it. That's why my mom... That's why one of my ultimate goals was bottom surgery. Mm. Huh. Had to get that done. <laughs> had to. Mm-hmm. You know, because I had that. I remember the pain. I was scared to do the the um, dental floss thing again because the pain when they cut the dental floss out, mm. it essentially your nerves... And your genitalia is coming back to life because you cut the circulation yeah. off of it for days. Yeah. I did that for days mm-hmm. until the pain was so much that it shot up to my belly and I would had passed out, mm-hmm. you know, as a child. So I was scared to do that again. So I knew that it was coming. I just didn't know how I was going to get it, but it was going to get done. Yeah. Yeah, crazy. Wow. So, so your actual like prescribed estrogen happened around what time? 16. 16. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so you were still living with Domini. Yeah, I was living okay. with Domini. Okay. I was still going to school because I graduated from high school. Mm. And how I graduated, I have no idea. I have no idea. My grade point average was BC average. Mm-hmm. How? I have no idea. <laughs> Probably my... My my strong memory. Mm-hmm. I have a photographic memory. I remember shapes and colors very well. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember details. I remember stories. I remember um, faces. Mm-hmm. Like, I could not see you again in 10 years. And 10 years later, I'll see you and I'll say, Hey, girl, <laughs> you remember me? <laughs> and you probably won't remember me because your memory is not like mine. But you'll be like... No, I don't remember you. And plus the fact I changed my hair color like every three months. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> you probably wouldn't remember me, but I I would remember you ten years wow. from now. My brain is like, mm-hmm. and um, sorry, one off. Yeah. I'm a tangent again. We are at um, oh, Dominique prescribed yeah. estrogen bottom surgery as a goal. Yeah. I knew it was coming. I knew. Unfortunately, at that time, there weren't um, grants and there weren't things that are available now mm-hmm. for um, trans individuals in America. So I was, um, I was an escort. Mm-hmm. I was an escort. Doors, so many doors had been slammed in my face regardless of everything that I fought to be me, I still had doors slammed in my face. When I graduated from high school, I was determined to show people that I was going to be me and I was going to be successful regardless. Mm -hmm. And I went to Dance Theater of Harlem. Mm -hmm. I was a member of their ensemble. Mm -hmm. Ha, ha, ha. Off of one audition off a whim. Wow. I said, baby, I'm going to get up there. I'm going to turn it out and I'm going to show them. Mm-hmm. And I did get into an ensemble, but unfortunately, again, that was my second life experience dealing with negativity from gay men mm-hmm. because they complained to the director, Levine Nadu was the director at that time at, that they didn't want to partner me. They didn't want to, you know, so, I was their first trans experience there wow. at um, Dance Theater of Harlem. Mm-hmm. And when you dance for the ensemble, usually what happens is you dance for them for a year and their best, their top dancers get recruited into the company. Mm-hmm. Baby, you know that I could twirl and spin around them two times over. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, I was let go. Mm-hmm. Not just from not accepted into the company. I was let go from the ensemble. Oh, wow. And they offered me, oh, your technique is impeccable and da 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 smoke up my ass, lip service. Could you stay on and teach our children? Oh. I said, are you crazy? Mm-hmm. So... I had another negative experience. At that time, Alvin Ailey was um, recruiting. They were each all of the all of the dance. It's every institution has a cycle, and Alvin Ailey's was the same as American Ballet Theaters. As the same, they all had. Um, a open audition process that's usually held for people of ensembles. Mm-hmm. And so I went to Alvin Ailey's because I said, okay, fuck y'all. You know, dancing or Harlem, y'all not going to take me? I'm going to go to Alvin Ailey. I don't remember this woman's name, but I will never forget her face at Alvin Ailey after I slammed, I mean, slammed this audition. Mm-hmm. Slammed it. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, nobody's leg was higher. Nobody had sharper pirouettes. Nobody's leaps were higher. And um, I'm my joints are overextended. So that's my dog. <laughs> my joints are overextended. So um, when I used to do a grand jeté, you know how you see somebody do a grand jeté and it'd be in a split in the air? Yeah. Mine used to overextend. Honey, I was the first person they called in, and you know, I stormed in there. With, I said, oh, you know, I'm gonna be first. This woman read me my rights. Read me my rights. Do you hear me? Unfortunately, you did not get the part. You are an excellent dancer, but we don't know what you are. If you are a man or a woman, da da da. This is how she spoke to me. Yeah. With the gay men sitting next to her. The tears. People have been so unapologetically cut you to the core, mean to me. Cut you to the core. I mean, say stuff to me. You don't even know me. I mean, cut me, try to cut me down to the point where if I was not the person that I am, I probably would have killed myself. You know what I'm trying to say? I mean, even to the, even to this day with my singing career, and it's the reason why I chose anonymity Mm -hmm. with this interview today, because people give you a lot of lip service, Mm -hmm. a lot of lip service. I was on American Idol season three. Oh, I went to audition for America and made it all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, I did. I did use my sister's identification information with her permission because I knew that I just got turned down from two prestigious dance companies in New York. I knew that they weren't going to let me come into American Idol. Just yeah, I knew they weren't going to let me come in there. What so I had to use. What year was this? If you don't mind me asking. I was, I don't know what year it was. I think I was 20, okay. 20 years old because this is after high school. Mm-hmm. This is after I did a year with DTH mm-hmm. training with their company, training with their ensemble and didn't get into two companies. I was about 20 years old. Okay. And what other, I'm not technical. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to go back to cashier in somewhere. Mm-hmm. Oh. What other choice did I have? Go back to my other talent, singing. Just so happened, the American Idol auditions was up in here. This is season three, though, so. Um, made it all the way through all the preliminary auditions. Smashed them. Boom, 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 boom. I mean, I'm not just somebody that just wants to do it. I've had, like, world-renowned training since yeah. I was 19 years old. So I'm up and through there. Of course, they found out. And I had to sign something. I had to sign something that said, I don't know what it said, but I remember it was in front of several producers. They had called me back. And I thought it was a private audition. And they told me that we know. 
We know that's not your name. We don't care what your real name is. We can't put you through. You falsified information. Da 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 da. Okay. I mean, I'm giving it all I got. Yeah. So, what else am I gonna do? I'm a 20 year old trans girl, lovely, because I have fought to get my looks back, fought to get my estrogen back. Yeah. I mean. I was this thin, ballet thin, <laughs> with natural C-cut boobs, and, you know, yeah. what was I going to do? Yeah. What I knew how to do. What the best way I knew how to do. And I couldn't fall back on them. I'm, a, a, I'm an adult now. I couldn't fall back on my girlfriend, Dominique in Philly. I couldn't go back home. Yeah. <sighs> Started escorting. Yeah. Might as well make sure that I'm happy, you know, and that's ultimately, that's my goal right now. Even though I am right now, I'm successfully able to sustain or support myself mm-hmm. on singing alone. Yeah. The downfall is a lot of the people at the, at the places that I perform at don't know that I am of trans experience, mm-hmm. you know? And it doesn't bother me that they don't know. It's just something that I know that I have to do because people give you lip service. They tell you that it's okay. And then who wants to hire an ex-prostitute to be up in their situation? To be up in their company, to be up in their event. Some of the stuff that I have done since I've been here in this in New York these last six years, six, seven years that I've lived here. Yeah. Those people, if they knew that one, I'm trans, and two, that I used to prostitute, they wouldn't have me in there. You couldn't. Huh. Huh. You think yeah. I'd be up in here? Yeah. I just recently performed for, this like a couple months ago, I just recently performed for a celebrity's birthday gala. And a celebrity brought me on stage. Like, do you think these people would have me up in their event if they knew? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, people give you a lot of lip service here. They're not supportive of us, our community, our goals, our dreams. So I walk around and I dream big. And my ultimate goal right now is to be happy. I would love to one day have everything accomplished out of life. The American dream, have my house, have my car, have my dogs, have my husband, you know, and I was married before. Okay. I was married. I've been divorced now for two and a half years. Okay. And... No, his family did not. <laughs> his family has no idea to this day. Okay. He knew. Um, and I'd love to have all that, you know, have the American dream and then give back. Hmm. I would love to be a teacher. Yeah. Because once you can't do, you teach. Mm-hmm. 
You know, that's all I know from a child. I know entertainment. Mm -hmm. I know singing. I know dancing. I know sewing a costume together. I know presenting stage presentation. I know these things. I could pass this on to children, you know, especially young black children. Give them the opportunities that someone gave to me. Yeah. You know, some of the some of the exposure that I've had being in the industry and some of the people that I've met, you know, that have given me advice and told me things. It's like I would love to pass that on to another generation, you know. <laughs> so Ultimately, those are my goals in life right now. Yeah. You know, I don't know if this will help somebody else. Hopefully that, you know, they'll hear the story and be like, yeah, oh shit, (laughs) you know, she's been through a lot. And that's like a piece of it. Yeah. You know, with escorting, there's a whole other set of shit that you go through. Yeah. I've almost been shot three times mm. at gunpoint. Wow. You know? Mm. Not for robbing because I they think I got a bunch of money, but because they want to kill you because you're trans. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy what we have to go through as human beings just to even live some type of normality. Yeah, yeah. It really, really is. Yeah. Is it okay if we backtrack a bit? Sure. Yeah, definitely. So, like, okay, so we went to you auditioning for dance companies. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wanted to ask about first your mentor, Kelly, I think that was her name, Mm -hmm. and how that got started, and then also wanted to ask about the move from Philly to New York and, like, what prompted that? (laughs) Um, Kelly is known by a lot of the girls. Mm -hmm. A lot of the girls. Kelly was um, somebody who pumped silicone and created the bodies Mm -hmm. in Philadelphia. The dangerous curves (laughs) in Philadelphia. She did it very well. And um, it's a part of the reason why I have not gone overboard because she was very, I've been very blessed to have these people in my life. She was very militant, just like Nana. Yeah. You know, Nana passed away. So when I didn't have Nana, I had Kelly. Mm. And she was, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't follow these girls. Stay like this. Listen to what I'm telling you. And How it came about was strictly off of appearance. Mm-hmm. I believe from what I was told by her, from what I'm told by other people that know her, I believe that Kelly did come from a similar situation as myself. Mm-hmm. You know, she didn't get along with her family mm-hmm. or her mother. And she started at a very young age. So I think she saw a lot of herself in me. Mm-hmm. And she didn't want me to make the same mistakes that she made. And that's the kind of energy I try to put into um, the girls that I have mentored. Mm-hmm. I don't currently mentor a lot of them now, but I, do, I have mentored several. Mm-hmm. I'm talking 15 girls, mm-hmm. you know, that I have helped turn into babes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
because a lot of the resources are ready, readily available today, they don't find as much as appreciation mm-hmm. in an older girl like myself showing them the way. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just a sign of the times because younger generations are very disrespectful. They don't have like that same respect for your elders, quote unquote, respect for your elders mm-hmm. as others do. But um, my move from um, Philly to New York was not a straight move up here. It was, I tried to be up here professionally. Mm -hmm. Then when you escort, you travel. So when I started, I started escorting in New York, but I found myself in Miami for a year. I lived in Dade County, Miami for a year. Then I lived in Sandy Springs, Atlanta, Georgia for three years. Mm -hmm. Then I lived in Los Angeles, California for two years. Mm -hmm. And then I moved here Mm -hmm. after that. And it was after bottom surgery, there was a sense of urgency. Like I've known, I've known girls all over the United States and some in Europe Mm -hmm. um, that of trans experience. And I know several that are post-op and still escort. And in my mind, there was a sense of urgency that I can't keep living like that. Like, even though, even especially now, you know, they're trying to fight. There are, there's a group of girls, uh, cisgendered women and men trying to fight for um, prostitution as a profession. Mm -hmm. And it is a profession. It's very very lucrative. (laughs) Um, That's, it wasn't, ultimately it wasn't for me. Because I find myself having to really like build myself up double over. Because there's already, being trans, you already have to build yourself up mentally, you know, to be in this world. You know, and build up this wall of armor just in case somebody notices that you're trans and has something negative to say to you, you've already got this wall built up, then I have to build a second wall up on top of it, you know, just to deal with the men that come in that don't see you as a woman. They don't see you as a human. They see you as something that they're paying for and that they want to do whatever they want to do. And, you know, sometimes you got to be a real cold, stern B-I-T, you know, and I'm not that normally. That's not how I am. This is something that was, I had to really drill into myself like, baby, you're not going to do this. Honey, come over here and sit down. Come on in. You you know, you got to turn into this person. And there was a sense of urgency that I needed to normalize my life again. I got everything that I wanted. I got my breasts. I got my looks. I got my, you know, I finally am at a point where it's not mandatory that I take hormones every, every, every day, every week. Oh, no, no. Don't turn it, don't turn back into a man. Da, 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 da. It, that cycle had stopped now. I'm post-op. I don't need it. Yeah. You know, what do I really need to keep escorting for? Mm-hmm. Of course, I would love to have, I would would have loved to save enough money to buy a house and a car, but the way taxes and and um, the government and the federal laws are now, like, not just now, but but period, 
You take a lump sum of money and buy a house, the feds is on your ass like, bitch, tomorrow. Yeah. You take a lump sum of money and buy a car straight off the dealership. The feds are on your ass like, you know, and this is money that we don't pay taxes on. Yeah. Prostituting. So I couldn't, I knew, I'm smart enough to know that, you know? <laughs> so I said, you know, let me just see. So when I, the last city that I was in, in Los Angeles, I started to um, look for work. Because I knew that I had skills that I could fall back on. I started doing makeup at the Warner Brothers studio mm-hmm. out there. Um, I also did makeup for Christian Dior. So they asked to transfer me here to New York. And when I knew my opportunity to come back here, I said, let's go. So I flew back to New York. Little did I know. See, it was different in Los Angeles. People, um, the women, the the public, the public, the um, I'm trying to think of the right word. The demographic of women in New in California just care about themselves visually more than they do in the state of New York. So. You don't have to force women to come into a makeup store and buy makeup. Yeah. Here in New York, when I got here, I'm thinking I'm going to be makeup artist, do some faces, sell a couple of products, in and out. Mm-hmm. I'm going to love this job. I'm in New York. <laughs> Honey, no. Mm-hmm. Our regional manager, she was like, you have a quota to make here. And I wasn't the only one they transferred. They transferred some girl from Texas and they transferred another guy from Los Angeles as well. So when we came here and we were in our orientation for New York City, there was a whole thing that we had to do. Like, you have to sell this amount of that and you can't. Da, da, da. So me being me, I'm going to find a way around it anyway. There was a guy there at the location that I worked at that he could sell you a shirt with a hole in it. <laughs> he could. He could sell you a shirt with a hole in it. So me and him had this little thing that we used to work out. I say, you get the clients, you get the um, sale, and I do the makeup because he wasn't that good at makeup. And I was like, you know, I beat your face down (laughs) in 2.3 seconds. So, and it worked out for a while until Robin, our regional manager, had found found out about it because we used to split. And I think she had found out because it was like month after month, we were equally, (laughs) him and I were equally making you know, like 20% above the quota. We were equally doing it. And it was working. Why we couldn't continue doing it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I have no idea. No, that's not right. You got to do that. I'm out of here. I'm not going to put up with this. I'm not going to sit up here and force people to buy something that they don't need. Yeah. In my conscience, I just didn't, because I know how hard it is to make money, keep money. You know, and that's how I got here to New York. And when, and they were paying me $23 an hour mm-hmm. at Christian Dior. So I had jumped out of money. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and of course, again, what are you going to do? You're trans. You should have waited till you got another job. Nana told me stuff like that. You know, I was, uh, you know, I had a woman, several people in my life that, have that had inst- 
instilled morals and common sense, <laughs> but I did not. I worked, I maneuvered off of emotion and I jumped out of the situation without having a pot to piss in, as Nana would say. <laughs> and um, I'd had to do- dive in head first into, again, what I knew best, which was entertainment. I sang at some of the, <laughs> and I sang some of the dumbest shit, and I even posted um, advertisements on Craigslist, and and I had to really like work to stay here. I even took DJ gigs mm. here in New York mm. just to maintain. And I'm not a DJ, but I know music since yeah. I was a child. So it was easy for me to tell what people wanted to hear. So I was very, you know, and I built up until I was able to sus- completely sustain myself on just singing. Mm-hmm. That's how I got here to New York. Wow. wow. Okay, so you auditioned for all the companies and when that didn't work, you started escorting. Yeah. Okay. And that's when you started to move around the U.S.? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot. Mm-hmm. I've done a lot. I've seen a lot. Yeah. Not saying that I did more than other people. I'm sure that there are other women of my experience that... And also, I know there is... There is... Um, I have some level of privilege. I have passing privilege, you know, and I'm very thankful for that. I don't take that for granted and I don't, I try very hard. I try not to throw that in a lot of other girls' faces. Sometimes it's a little harder than others because, you know, the girls can be, you know, towards each other. You know, but I try to be the first one to extend the hand and say, "Hey, hi, how are you? How you doing?" Da, da, da. My name is da, 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 da. and sometimes they're t- they're taken back like, "Oh, excuse me," so she's not, you know, nose in the air. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that's how I met Kiara. Yeah, yeah. So, how did you start maybe engaging in like the trans community in New York? Um, when I got divorced. I felt like I was in this world of where do I belong? Because, you know, still in the back of your head, because his family didn't know there's there's still something in the back of your head like that makes you feel like you're lying mm-hmm. to um, to people. Only because of way only because of what society makes us believe. We are, you know, society makes us believe that we are not women. You know, we're still men that have just transitioned, you know. And until society changes, I don't think that even myself would be completely comfortable all the way in the back of my mind. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 So you 
got divorced. Yeah. Um, I started looking for little little sisterhood, mm. little friendship, little you know. Yeah. So I <laughs> I did not again did not have a good experience mm. when I first started going to. Um, I just wanted to visit um, the center on Thirteenth Street mm. to see if you know they even had a group for girls like me. They made me fill out this long entry form and me <laughs> and put good on a waiting list <laughs> and interview to see if I was right for the group. Me. Wow. Hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> I did not have a good experience at the center <laughs> because after I jumped through hoops to get into this um I think they call it female trans identified or I can't remember what they call the group. <laughs> but after I did all that, jumped through those hoops to get in this group, I went to the group and saw um, <laughs> cis male identified Men? Hmm. I mean, not even... (sighs) There is a certain way you look at people. Mm -hmm. Life is built on visuals. We have eyes for a reason. You can look at people and tell who they are. Mm -hmm. Tell what they are. These individuals that was in this group These were men. Hmm. Men. I don't care what plans they had, how much money they were saving up to eventually go down the line and possibly think about maybe, sort of, kind of, maybe I might get this done in the future. You made me jump through hoops to get in this group. Mm -hmm. I lost it. They had to call the police and everything. Oh, wow. And I sat there when I first got in the group and I saw them in there. I sat back, you know, for a little bit and I said, you know, maybe, maybe they're here to, to like ask if somebody wants to do an interview. Maybe they work for the center. This is my first experience with the center. Okay. Yeah. I lost it. And when they sat there and said, you know, I've been, you know, I've been toying with the thought that maybe one day in the future that. Yeah. <gasps> what? I have fought yeah. life or death mm-hmm. for this life. Mm-hmm. And you come up in here with your male privilege. Mm-hmm. And after they made me jump through all oops to get up here. And you say you might think about <laughs> get the fuck out right now. or I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. I lost it. Mm-hmm. And of course the cis female moderator this is a safe space for everyone you know, bitch don't play with me don't play with me this is not what I came here for and one just had this look like 
we know each other. We know each other. After you experience life to a certain extent, you know where people come from. I knew this particular person had a perversion for us, mm. especially dealing with the in, the escort industry. Okay. As I'm getting upset, I understand how you feel. My trans girlfriend, da 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 da. I'm only here to gather information for her. Watch. I knew that one because the way he was looking with the eyes and the sparkle in the eye. <laughs> yeah. I knew you had no idea. You and you, and it, it wasn't, it was more, I was offended. Yeah. That you made me jump through these hoops to get in here. Yeah. Especially when I come here looking for. Sisterhood. Sisterhood. Looking for a little information. Looking for a little reference. Looking for a little um, resource. <laughs> looking for that's hard to find for us anyway yeah. that you know no offense I don't have to look for mm-hmm. because I have passing privilege like I'm coming down I'm like I'm trying to be in be with my girls yeah and you're making me jump through hoops to get it that center they're a mess when when trans identified girls walk through the door, everybody in the in the lobby already, mm. you know, tension daggers. So, but when I had that negative experience with them, I started to find if it wasn't for that negative experience, I wouldn't have started to look for. And that's how I met Kiara, because okay. I started looking for other um, places. Mm to find my sisterhood. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know that was a lot, right? Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. Yes, girl, they called the cops and everything. Wow. I went off. <laughs> Zero to 60. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> weeks! I think it was like a month and a couple weeks I had to wait on this waiting list. Uh-huh. To... I didn't even know there was like a whole screening process. Girl. Yeah. Lost it. Yeah. Yeah. So then... That's the incorrect way to act. (laughs) You should not go off zero to 60. You should express your feelings. (laughs) Articulately. You know... I should have done that. But when it comes to me, my life, and what I've been through to get here, it's like, that's like the one straw that can easily be plucked (laughs) to get me there. You know, tooth and nail, I thought, and that's another reason why I wanted to do this. Because I believe... Far too often now, you have people from the trans experience speaking about their trans experience from a 
Hmm. They speak. They speak from a less of a struggle, and I feel like more women that have fought to be everything that they are today should do more interviews like this, so that they know exactly what it takes or what it took to be who we are today. Mm. You know, so people won't think it's so easy. I think the visibility that is coming onto our community now is not all good mm. because it it makes the public look at us like, oh, it's just a whim that I thought about yesterday. You know, Caitlyn Jenner and all that, you know. I didn't think she's trans, she can be trans. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a right. But People need to know that it's not a second decision. This is from birth. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is this is an actual chemical imbalance. This is an actual an actual. Yeah, I'm very. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should have did a video because I'm very <laughs> with the hands and everything. This is something that uh, is, is internal. Yeah. You know, this is medical. This is something that is not going to go away. This is not something that you don't wake up tomorrow and decide to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. And I reiterate again, (laughs) that is not the way you conduct yourself as a young lady. (laughs) (laughs) There goes like the bit of mother. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was wondering then maybe if you would talk a bit more about how like mentorship fit into that and like the girls that you've mentored um, and like where you found the kind of like strength and the power to, to do that. It didn't even come as a, I didn't have a second thought about it. Mm-hmm. Each one of the girls that I haven't met that I've helped, I saw a need for it and it was like, boom, mm-hmm. let me show you, let me take you, let me show you where you want to be. Mm-hmm. I, it wasn't even a second thought for me. Yeah, It was immediate. And two of the girls that I mentored, they were... It's not like I have something against, because I don't want... You know, people can take interviews and interpret them any way you want. You know, they can hear one part of, you know, we are, us human beings, we have... different levels to the way we think, to the way we are, to the way we act, you know, and I don't want people to interpret that I don't like or I am against um, people who thought about it later in their life. Because two of the girls that I did mentor, they they were living their life as cisgendered gay men and decided to transition. So like, I don't have anything against it. It's just that I don't want anything taken away from my journey. Yeah, yeah. You know? So, it wasn't it, it wasn't even a second thought mm-hmm. when the two individuals asked me to help them. Mm-hmm. And when I saw the other girls who I knew, I knew, I can't really explain it. Like, my first what we call in our world daughter Mm -hmm. she i saw her and i saw a piece of myself Mm -hmm. 
You can see it in her eyes and the way she talked and her mannerisms and her hands. It was, it was a girl and she needed help, mm-hmm. you know? And I, at first, you know, when you take on a daughter, you start them on your own supply, just like mm-hmm. I was started, yeah. you know? Yeah. I was started underground and you give them that first heavy dose of estrogen and they, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> You know, it sets them on a path for a life that there's yeah. no turning back to from, you know. So it wasn't even a second thought mm-hmm. when I met them mm-hmm. or when I was asked. It was, I felt that same sense of urgency for myself, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And when did mentorship like become... In like the kind of like timeline that we've set up, when did it become like a part of your life? I think when it comes, and that's that's a that is a good question because a lot of times I think there are trans women that mentor other trans women that are not ready to mentor yeah. trans yeah. women, and I think it comes when. You can, it's easily, I can easily say when you're ready, but people know when you're ready, you know, they see it. The public sees it, you know, you've been living like this for so long that you can't even remember the last time someone misgendered you or even had an inclining that you are trans. You're ready. To pass on, you know, that knowledge because it has become bread and butter. It's like day and night, not even a second thought. Mm. That's when you're ready. I would say that you're ready to mentor. And I didn't know when it came Mm -hmm. because for years I was so focused on being me or focused on making sure that my life, even after you first, even after you first get your bottom surgery, there's still that. You know, you still have a whole nother set of things in your mind that you're worried about, you know, how a man that you're intimate with, how will he judge your private area now that you've had it done? You know, you think about all these things, you're not sure what to, you know, yeah. and it's after experience comes in. It's after life comes in and not months, years, Yeah, yeah. you know, it takes years for you to get the knowledge and experience to even have anything to pass on to someone else. And people, a lot of times our community now, they think it's trendy to be somebody's mother. Mm-hmm. And now that this television show, again, they're, they're pushing <sighs> this television show is pushing our lives out into the forefront. This new TV show pose. Yeah. yeah. They have this individual playing someone's mother Okay, you can put an individual in a mother position, mm-hmm. but you can't just put anybody in that position. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. It's not like a role to be played. It's not a role to be played. Yeah. Like, that girl that's playing that part, she's not ready mm-hmm. to even think about playing somebody's mother. You know what I'm saying? And now you're putting this for millions of people to see. to. Now these young girls are thinking, oh, all I got to do is make it work for me and then I can pass it on for somebody. No, girl, no. 
you can't just put somebody, they should have put somebody in that role that was ready, seasoned. <laughs> they needed a seasoned girl for that role mm-hmm. so that the public and the community would see that that's a mother and that she's ready to be a mother. No offense against that actress. She does an amazing job. She's a great actress, but she should not have been cast in that role. Yeah, yeah. You know? And it's fact. Mm-hmm. It's a fact. Because in real life, it doesn't work that way. And when this, and when our, these newer generations take on these quote-unquote mother positions and you have nothing to pass on to them and you're just, y'all are really just sisters and girlfriends running around making mistakes together, come on. Yeah. Come on. The whole point is that you have the knowledge and you made these mistakes already so that the next person does not make those mistakes. That's the whole point of being someone's mother, of being someone's mentor, to prevent catastrophe, to prevent bad silicone injection, to prevent bad hormone experiences, to prevent um, passing out from overdosing on hormones, to prevent... Um, blood clots in the brain to prevent blood clots in the heart. This is shit that they don't they have no idea about. Mm-hmm. You don't know nothing about none of that. Yeah. To prevent hematomas in your vagina after you get a um, SRS surgery. To prevent capsulization in your breast. To prevent they don't know what she know about that. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Yeah. To prevent the next generation from going through that. Mm-hmm. Y'all are just out here. And then you have no respect for the girls that did it because you think the girls that did it before you had their head too high. And the only reason why they had their head so fucking high is because they had to beat their way to where they are that day. That's why you have it so easy. Because the girls that did it before you had to literally punch an uppercut, fight in the streets, almost get shot in the face, get shot in the ass, get shot in the back, fight tricks, fight people on the street. Just to get a haircut, just to go to get their hair done. Like, come on. These are people that have been through it night and day just so that you're able to comfortably do it now. And you have no respect for that because all you can see is the fact that we carry us ourselves with our heads so high. And you have no idea why we carry ourselves with our heads so high. You don't care to ask. You just want to pass judgment. You got a little hormone shot. You got some free implants. And now... Bitch, you've arrived. No baby. No baby. And two years down the line, you have no idea why your breasts are so hard. Why they are, they look like tether balls on your chest. And it could have been prevented if you if you didn't have so much ego. Right? Yeah. So, that's the generation that's going on right now. And that was... That's part of the sense of urgency I felt when I met certain girls because I saw them and so often now young trans girls are being forced into, not being forced to, but they're learning these um, feminine male mannerisms. That is not becoming of a woman. There is a certain way women carry themselves, period. 
and the younger girls are not learning that way because they're transitioning and they're going straight into balls and they're going straight into a majority cis gay male spaces and they're getting that eh girl yes and it go with the thing how can you take that to how can you take that to a secretarial position how can you take that to be a cashier at CVS or Walmart or <laughs> whatever you want to do how can you open up a flower shop when somebody comes in, you have no idea how to conduct yourself like a lady. There's etiquette to being a social person in life. It has nothing to do with, you know, who you are with your friends is not who you are in life. Yeah. You know, it's there's a professional way to do things, and then they they never learn it. They just, eh, eh. how can you open up your own flower shop doing all that? Who is going to take you seriously? Who is going to think you're professional enough to cater, not to cater, but to uh, to um, design their, their, their wedding, to design their reception? Who is going to do it? Yeah. <laughs> you're not going to make any business. Your business is going to flop because you don't know how to carry yourself. Mm-hmm. All you know is being... Ah, eh, eh. <laughs> It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And I think, I think Ryan Murphy and um, did a good job with casting a trans woman to help write some of the... um, but either he should have casted another trans woman to be hands on and how it goes, or she should have been more vocal about how the shit go because she know Janet Mock know how this shit go, and some of the shit that I saw go down. You know that's it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, we're like at a very particular moment and kind of like how trans people are seen versus how the community has evolved. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. They're doing a great job and and carefully showing visibility and being sensitive, but they're not getting the full story. Yeah. Because even some of the, um, there was too many, again, there was too many cis gay men dictating Mm. what it was and what it's like. Yeah, yeah. You had the actual, you had, how many, I think it was, it was either four or five women, trans, women of trans experience actually from that era that lived in that era, you had them sitting in background. Yeah. But you didn't ask them to consult. You did not ask them to consult for trans parts or trans information or trans spaces. You took what you heard from 
you heard or seen on from story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Come on. You know? Yeah. It was terrible. But Come on, give credit where credit is due. It's it's bringing visibility, and I guess because it's they're doing a, and that's another thing too. Why the fuck do we always have to be okay with what they give us? Mm. It's the same thing with the with uh, Black Lives Matter. It's like you force people to be okay with chips and crumbs. Like, okay, look, you're getting a couple spaces. You're getting this. So be okay with that. Okay. Be thankful that you're getting this. And it's like, when a person like me complains about it, it's like, bitch, what are you complaining about? Miss thing, at least it's um, visible. At least, you know, yeah. come on, come on. Yeah. It's not right. That's why it's not complete. That's right. That's why. You're not trans. That's why. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Yes, girl. I think I said enough. <laughs> I think I said enough. Because, Okay. Well, is there anything that we missed or anything you want to end with? Um, I think there are more, um, there are more important things to discuss. Um, like healthcare, like, um, the stigma of being post-op, the, but we need a more in-depth situation. Yeah. Situation. (laughs) Not just like visibility, but like information. Yeah. Yeah. Or how about a space just for trans? How about that? just for trans because even spaces that are created just for trans don't stay just for trans Mm -hmm. they because they are funded by grants or they're funded by government they're required to bring in put more seats in the um put more butts in the seats if they took the numbers they had from calum lord gmhc saint uh saint saint mark's Saint, uh, Mount Sinai, mm-hmm. and they took all those numbers, e- even, um, what's the other one down off of Canal Street? Aperture. Aperture. Yeah. If they took all those numbers and put them all in one space, they have more than enough num- numbers for one f- space to be fully funded and fully informed of all the <laughs> levels from beginning to non-conforming to male transition to female transition, they would have the numbers. Yeah, yeah. Come on. Why isn't someone doing it? Like, come on. Not me, because <laughs> I'm not me- <laughs> I'm not medically versed like that. I know a little bit, because what Nana taught me, but, yeah. you know. Mm. Come on, somebody do it. Somebody put us all together. Write a medical journal. Mm. How about that? Mm. Write a medical journal with all the information and all the things that happened. There is a whole heap of shit people have no idea. Only we know. And then we know from word of mouth, from telling each other what each other, you know. 
a lot of these girls don't even know you get breast implants too early before your mammary is formed the implant slides <laughs> these people have medical degrees these people have degrees that are placed in these places of power but they don't have common sense they're like on the ground experience oh come on come on <laughs> Wouldn't you like a space where you won't have to go in and explain every single time, everything, you know, yeah. when they come in and see you and say, oh, hey, Sebastian, <laughs> we know exactly what you're feeling today. Let's go right here. Boom, boom, boom. Da, 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 da. Don't worry. We'll have somebody call you tonight and tomorrow to make sure that you're yeah. Doesn't that sound over. <laughs> yes. That's just amazing, doesn't it? Because yeah. they know. Yeah. And you don't got somebody sitting at the front desk doing secretary work, misgendering you until they see your paperwork. Yeah. (laughs) Like, why are you working at this facility if you can't even identify visually what somebody is going through? Hmm. (sighs) Come on. Come on. It's not fair. Hmm. (laughs) Ugh. You know, I wish my Nana was still alive. She would do it. Hmm. She yeah. would do it. She was like business. She was a Virgo. Hmm. Business militant. Businesswoman. Get things done. This needs to be done like this. Got Go. Go here. Bop. Boop. Bop. Yeah. Knows the call and knows people. Yeah. I mean, knows people. Knows people. Hmm. She would have done it. So today's lesson, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, is that we are just as complicated as anyone else, but we are underserviced. We are not listened to as much. People just want to be listened to. That's when the and, you know, so often they hear tr- people of trans experience ramble. It's because there is so much <laughs> stacked on top of stack because we're not listened to. As human beings, you want what? Companionship. You want to eat. You want to sleep. You want to... <laughs> <laughs> You want to be listened to, yeah. you know? Yeah. Ugh. And we're not, that's when you, the crazy comes in. Because as human beings, we're not getting the fundamental necessities as humans. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're not listened to. I feel like an ex- exhibitionist with all these windows open. <laughs> yeah, we're in a large corner office um, with huge windows. Like yeah. everyone can see it. <laughs> hey, how are you? <laughs> boop, boop, be <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yes. So, 
if you are of the trans experience, you are not alone. I recently, do you know Cecilia Gentili? Yeah. She recently, a couple years ago, took me, because she's been trying to get me to be more hands-on with the um, community and stuff. I just don't think I'm ready because, you know, I'm not in my career where I want to be yet. You know, I'm getting older. I'm not getting younger. I got to establish my career. Then I can hands-on with the kids. But... (laughs) Um, she took me to a medical conference. I thought it was going to be like a, just a trans conference oh, with other trans people, but it was for medical professionals. And um, their numbers were astonishing. In the past three years, 300-some post-ops in New York City. I said, what? Come on. Come on. There's statistics. There's statistics were astonishing. I said, oh, what? <laughs> and then even in within that conference, you have representatives from all these different organizations. Why didn't they just have the trans liaison from each representative come and make one, one place? It made sense to me, and I was just there as a guest, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And one of the things that they were talking about is their lack of knowledge, their na- their lack of um, knowledge on post-op care with just any old thing, you know? Yeah. The body heals differently after you get an orchiectomy or your um, post-op. The body heals completely differently from a cis, or a cis, a cis male or cis female. Yeah. You know, your thyroids don't function as normally with once you strip the body from its natural function of producing estrogen or testosterone. Yeah. You know, and this is something that they don't have a textbook on, mm. but y'all are performing surgeries like. Mm. <sighs> and then people see a trans person react quote unquote react or wow out or flip out or bug out or and they think oh yeah she that's just what they do they're crazy no we're not getting the same fundamental (laughs) you know parts of life that you are like you want to be loved yeah i don't have to keep going you know yeah oh yeah Mm. i hope this helps somebody i really do yeah and thank you so much for sharing your story hmm There is life out there for us. We can have it. We can have it. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you.